This morning, I invite you to turn to your table of contents. I'm going to simplify it for you. There is nothing spiritual about knowing where all the books in the Bible are. It just proves that you've got a better memory than some people. So turn to the table of contents and look down through there and find the book of Habakkuk. It's in the Old Testament. He's one of the minor prophets. His book is only three chapters long, so it's easy to overlook even if you know where it's at. Find it and then turn it. In my Bible, it's on page 876. That won't help you much, but that's where it is in my Bible. We've been looking in this series about hearing God. And today I want us to take a little closer look at this whole idea of praying and listening to God. And hopefully I will give you some practical steps to help you to tune in to God so that you can hear him speak when you're in his presence, when you need his guidance in your life, when you've got things that are troubling you and you've got questions that are coming up in your mind. So we're going to take a look at the book of Habakkuk. I'm not going to try doing verse by verse through there, but I'm going to get you acquainted with the book a little bit. I borrowed the title from a little book that I've got written by Warren Wiersbe called From Worry to Worship. And I think that fits it beautifully. Before I get into the message this morning, I want to share some prerequisites now, these are not original with me. I saw them in a message by Rick Warren. Three simple little points. The first one is you must realize that God cares about the details of your life. Realize that he cares about the details, the little things. Matthew 6, 31 and 32 says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And that's an amazing verse, isn't it? When you think about it and you personalize it, it says, God is concerned about what I wear, what I drink, what I eat. He is concerned about every little detail in my life. Doesn't matter what it is that's troubling you. God is more interested in the details of your life than you are, because he made you. You are his creation. And he is concerned about you. And until you understand that, you won't come asking questions and being honest with God about the details of your life. You're going to come up with the excuse, well, I don't want to bother God with that. I don't want to bother God with that. He's concerned about it. He's involved in everybody else's life. I don't want to bother him. But the bottom line is, he is interested in your life. He is, loves you. He made you. And he wants to take care of you and he wants you to seek out his counsel. Second thing, you need to ask specific questions. When you're asking God for guidance, get specific with him. And the more specifically you ask, the more God is able to answer. Instead of saying, God, do you want to say something to me? <laughs> say, God, what do you think about this? What's the next step that I should take? What should I do here? How should I do it? Ask him specific questions. 
Over 20 times in the New Testament, the word ask is used in relation to our relationship with God. Ask, seek, knock, all the same idea. If you want to know what God wants you to do, then ask him and he will gladly tell you. The book of James, the author there says, you have not because you ask not. You don't ask. That's simple reason. You don't ask for his advice. He's willing to share with you. He's willing to give you his advice. He'll give you his, his advice about your relationships, about your finances. He's eager to talk to you. And the third thing, you need to believe that he will answer. Believe that he will answer. I'm going to read James 1, 5, and 6 out of the Living Bible. So just listen to it. God is always ready to give a bountiful supply of wisdom to all who ask him. He won't resent it. But when you ask him, and listen to this next part, be sure that you really expect him to tell you. Do you really expect God to answer? Do you really expect God to talk to you? I'm not talking about audibly talking to you. I'm talking about an impression. I'm talking about an impression where scripture just kind of leaps off the pages at you and he speaks to you in that way. So, when you want answers to your prayers and you really pray, then you will really pray. And when you really pray, you will get answers. Make specific requests. Now, in the book of Habakkuk, I'm going to get you acquainted with it a little bit without going into great detail. In the first chapter, he asks several questions, and he makes some statements there in chapter 1. There are six specific questions that he asks, but if you, if you look at it in verse 2, he's, he, they come across as accusations. In all reality, he's not accusing God. He is asking God why. Not asking him how. It's obvious to him. There's a group of Chaldeans that are about ready to come down, and he, he's wondering why. They are going to come down and attack the Israelites. Why is that going to happen? Why is God allowing it? And in verse 2, he, he accuses him of being indifferent. Verses 3 and 4, it's like he's accusing him of being inactive. And in verses 12 through 17, it's as if he is accusing him of being inconsistent. Now, when you start hearing things like that, you think you get kind of judgmental of him, don't you? Think, well, he shouldn't be that way. Hey, God can withstand our questioning. We're not always going to understand things, and it's okay to ask why. I, I, I like this. I think it's important. This tells me that we need to be totally honest with God. Totally honest with God. And he's going to understand. Now, I'm not talking about being angry with God. I'm not talking about trying to blame him for everything that's going wrong in your life. That's not where it's at. I am talking about being totally honest with yourself and with God. And if you've got legitimate questions, it's okay to ask him those questions. There's no question that's too tough with God. It's okay to ask why if you don't understand. You've got to trust that he will let you know when it's right for you to know when you can handle it. In chapter 2, this is where I've asked you to turn. Chapter 2, we find that he is waiting and he is listening 
for the answer. Look at verse, the first two verses. I'm reading out the English stand, Standard Version. So it'll be a little bit different than some of your versions. But the meaning is there. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write, down, write the vision, make it plain on tablets. Let's pause and pray for just a moment. Father, as I share these lessons today, I pray that your spirit will have a freedom to speak to each of our hearts and where we are living today and that you will help us to understand better how this whole thing of praying and listening for you to speak back to us comes about. May it, may it improve our trust and our faith in you. May we have a deeper relationship with you because of the, because of the work of your spirit in our lives. Lead us now as we share these thoughts in Christ's name. Amen. So the very first thing Number one, you need to withdraw. Withdraw. That means getting, getting alone in a quiet place. Habakkuk says, I will take my stand at my watch post. That's a Hebrew expression that, that simply means I'm going to get alone. I'm going to get off by myself. I'm going to eliminate the external distractions so that I can hear God. Find a place where you can get quiet. Find a place where you can get alone with God and listen for him to speak back to you. One of the reasons why you don't hear God speaking is because you're surrounded by noise. Think about it. You've got a radio blaring. You've got a TV blasting. You've got a phone that is bombarding you with phone calls and text messages and notifications of all sorts. And every time that thing beeps, you think you've got to look at it and see what it's saying to you. Probably one of the most spiritual things you could do when you're trying to pray is to turn the phone off. Turn it off. Leave it off for that little bit of time. Believe me, if somebody really wants to get a hold of you, they can wait. They can wait a little bit until you're free to answer. But you're in an important communication time with somebody that is important to you. And they need your undivided attention. So the first stop is you withdraw and get off by yourself. In, in Luke 5.16, he said, and this was speaking of the Lord Jesus, it said that he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. See, Jesus led a very active life. And in spite of all of that, he would many times withdraw, get off by himself. He made it a habit. Now, if he needed to do it, I certainly need to do it. And so do you. We need to get away from the distractions, shut the phone down, get alone, as much as possible. Now, sometimes mothers with kids have to be creative. And uh, I'm not going to try to suggest some ways there, but don't be afraid to be creative. My father used to go to the bathroom, and he would disappear in there. After a while, my mother would say, go back and ask your dad if he fell in. <laughs> no, that's not what happened. He just needed some alone, quiet time. 
And that was seemingly the only place that he could get some quiet time. And there were only two of us. I can't imagine if there are three or four or more. How on earth do you find alone time with God? Be creative. You can find it if you're looking for it. Now, if getting alone with God was all there was to it, no problem. You can find that spot. And you'd hear God every time. But eh, after you get alone in that quiet spot, you need to quiet yourself. You need to quiet your mind and quiet your emotions. That leads us to the second step. We need to learn how to wait. Key word there is the word wait. Notice he says, I will station myself on the tower. Now I'll clue you in that some of the modern translations make translate that, I will wait. I will wait on the tower. So what does it mean to station yourself? It means we don't move, that we're going to stay put, that we're not going to run around, we're going to be still. If I station myself, it means I'm going to be there for a little while. I'm planning on it. Waiting means to calm your thoughts and emotions, to quiet yourself down. Habakkuk is saying, I'm going to station myself on the tower so that I can hear God. I need to have that time. God will speak to the person who will take the time to listen. One of the reasons we don't hear God is we are so busy. We'll give God a minute here. We'll give God five minutes here. We, if we're gracious, we'll give him 15 minutes. But we, we are so busy. We've got so many things going. And we, just, we need to slow ourselves down, calm ourselves by choice mentally and emotionally. Too often, when you sit down to pray, you start thinking of unfinished tasks. Unfinished tasks that you have, responsibilities that you've got. All those things that you're afraid you're going to forget about. And believe me, I've got one of the greatest forgetters there is. I have proved that to you all too many times, I'm afraid. But if you're ever wondering what you need to do, sit down and start praying, and they'll all flood into your mind. Satan has a way of doing that to you. Instantly, he starts flooding your mind with all of those things. And when your mind is going from subject to subject, you can't hear God. If you try to ignore it, it doesn't go away. If you say, well, I'll I'll think about those things later, and you just try to push them down, they scream out louder. (sighs) I ran across a very practical solution. Take a little notebook with you, a pad, a paper. Take it with you when you go to pray. And when one of those thoughts comes into your mind, stop, write it down, and go back to praying. When another thought comes to your mind, stop, write it down, go back to praying. You may wind up with 15 or 20 things, but at least you won't forget them. And you don't have to worry about forgetting them. Because you've written them down. They're right there for you. Now, if you can get past that mental chaos stage, there's still another problem. There's a second enemy. And that's your negative emotions. Satan loves to play on your conscience. 
He is described in Scripture as the accuser of believers. And so you start thinking about the things that you're not doing, the things that you're doing wrong, all the things that you're guilty of, all of your sins, your faults, your weaknesses. Satan is screaming out, guilty, guilty, guilty. That doesn't make prayer fun, does it? How many times would you get with somebody if all you ever heard from them was how guilty you were and all the wrong things that you've done? You wouldn't want to spend any time with them, would you? And that's where Satan dupes you into thinking that God is reminding you of all of those things. It's no wonder you don't want to pray. That's not the voice of God. Recognize that that's, it's the voice of the devil. And it's, it's that old conscience of yours that's bringing up things that were in the past and, and putting you down. The Bible says in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God is a loving father. Satan is the accuser. God wants to talk to you. He didn't want to sit around condemning you. That's not what he's interested in. And so you've got to get past that and decide that you're going to focus on the Lord. Focus on him. He doesn't want you focusing on what's wrong in your life. I used to teach this by saying, go to God in praise to begin with. Don't worry about confession. Go to him and praise him for who he is. Then, if you need to confess something, confess it to him and trust that he will be faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. See, God wants to encourage you and lift you up. He wants to love you. Will he convict you? Yes, he will convict you. We talked about that last week. But he's not going to condemn you. There's a difference. Conviction tells you things that you need to do to correct the behavior. So practically, how do you do it? How do you calm your emotions? How do you calm your thoughts? Let me just give you a couple of verses out of the Psalms. In Psalms 46.10, he says, Be still and know that I am God. Relax your body. Relax your body. If you relax your body, you can relax your mind. You need to let go, and it's okay to be comfortable. It's okay to sit in a comfortable chair. You don't have to be in an uncomfortable position to pray. The Bible says that David sat before the Lord when he prayed. So sit in a comfortable position, in a comfortable chair, and let go of the tension, because your body affects your attitudes. They're tied together. Be still and know that I am God. Now once you get your body still, then you need to do what Psalm 62.5 says. You need to wait in silence. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from Him. Waiting takes time. And it's difficult to calm down in a hurry. You ever discovered that when you're trying to go to, to bed? Yeah, you need to calm down, but can you? Your mind starts racing, you start thinking of all these things. You can't force yourself to go to sleep, can you? Well, the same thing with prayer. You need to calm your mind, calm your emotions, and let God be in control. For years, 
I would spend some time reading some of the Psalms or reason of, reading through some praise hymns that I had. I had a book of praise hymns in my library, and, and that would help me to calm down and get my focus on the Lord and off of all the things that are going on in my life. Sometimes one of the quickest ways to calm down is to get some slow Christian music and to just let that music play. It's amazing how that will help you to calm down and get your focus upon the Lord. It's talking with the kids about the compass and keeping our focus on Him, on the Lord. And it's so important that we have our focus there if we're going to know where we're going and how we're going to get back where He wants us to be. Now, you may say, well, that sounds a lot like transcendental meditation. No, it's the exact opposite of, of transcendental meditation. Humanistic type meditation is far different than this. It says you make your mind go blank. No, that's not what you're trying to do. You're trying to get your mind off of the other things and your focus upon the Lord. It's the exact opposite of transcendental meditation. The goal is to tune in to God, to hear Him when He is speaking to you. You're trying to put yourself in a position where you can hear Him talk to you. So your focus and your thoughts are on Him. You withdraw and you wait. And right along with waiting is watching. The third thing He says, I will look out to see what He will say to me. First time, well, no, not, not even the first time. Many times as I've read that, I thought, what on earth? It, it would make more sense to me. I will listen to what God says. Well, you listen to people, don't you? Why did he put it this way? Well, an important lesson to learn is that God will many times speak to you visually. Now, I'm not necessarily one of those visual type people. I think more analytically. Those, but studies say that probably 60 to 70% of our population are visual learners. And so God will, as he is speaking to you, you are visualizing something. There are hundreds of examples where in scripture this was taking place. And God gave people a mental picture of what he was trying to get across to them. Those were the impressions that went into their minds. Uh, you can call them a vision if you want to, but just go through Old Testament examples. Abraham, Jacob, Job, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. So many New Testament examples. Peter, John, Paul. God often speaks to them people by giving them visual, mental pictures. So that's, maybe that's why Jesus said many times, watch and pray. I always thought you were supposed to keep an eye out because somebody may come and attack you and so you're supposed to keep an eye. You're supposed to be watching as you're praying. And I realized, no, that's not what he's talking about. He was talking about God communicating to them through visual pictures. Some of you might be thinking, well, I thought visualizing was a new age thing. Let me just simply say the counterfeit type is. 
Satan has never had an original thought in his life. All he can do is copy, pervert, and counterfeit what God already does. So whatever God is doing, Satan's going to try to counterfeit it. For instance, God gives gifted, godly teachers and preachers. So what does Satan do? He comes up with false teachers and false preachers. God creates real miracles. Satan comes along and he, he does phony miracles, fake, counterfeit miracles. The Bible says that just because you see a miracle doesn't mean that it's from God. There are counterfeits that come about. God creates fellowship. God created the church so that we would have fellowship with one another, so that we would support one another and love one another, have people there to help us when we need help. Genuine koinonia, genuine fellowship. Satan comes along and tries to falsify it. Have you ever thought about beer commercials? What on earth? Why is the preacher talking about a beer commercial in the middle of his message? <laughs> beer commercials are not trying to sell beer. They're trying to sell fellowship. Next time you see one, any kind of alcoholic commercial, they are showing a picture that says, well, if you want to have a good time and enjoy fellowship and laugh and just have great friends, then you need to be drinking. They don't know it's actually casseroles. What? Casseroles? <laughs> Thinking of potlucks and stuff like that. Okay. I wasn't following you for a minute there, Mike. You, you threw me. <laughs> yeah. But the point is, they're trying to sell that. They're trying to sell the false thing. It, honestly, I had a man in my church, second church I pastored, that went to the bars to find fellowship to find people that would accept him. Not realizing that we would be most accepting of him if he would just give us a chance. So that's what they're selling there. They're trying to sell fellowship. That you, if you, the only way you can have a good time is if you're drinking. And that's not true. Anybody that knows us in this church we know how to have a good time, don't we? We know how to laugh and cut up with one another. Penny gets after me. I shouldn't say that, but she does. She says, are you going to behave? No, I just misbehaved. I just misbehaved. I realized that the minute I said it. I'll talk to you after church. I know you will. I know you will. Well, in the book of Psalms, God teaches us how to tune into him through biblical meditation and visualizing. and So that's one of the reasons I've always gone to the Psalms and made that a part of my devotional time. It bothers me that Satan has robbed believers of the joy of knowing God intimately in a personal way by getting them to believe that all meditation and all visualization is, is false, is new agey stuff. Not true. God thought it up first. It's just been perverted and misused in our society today. Ephesians 1.18 says, uh, Paul is praying for these believers that they would have the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. He's not talking about physical eyes. He's talking about spiritual eyes here. When you were born physically, you got uh, physical senses, didn't you? Hearing, taste, touch, smell, feel. 
But when you're born spiritually, you get some spiritual senses also. You get spiritual eyes, you get spiritual ears. Uh, Have you read a verse maybe a dozen times before and all of a sudden it jumps off the page at you? God just opened up your spiritual eyes because that verse has meaning for you in the situation you're in at that moment or meaning for somebody else that you're trying to help. So, if you already think that way, then you understand what I'm talking about. If you don't, well, listen to Hebrews 5.14. It says, speaks of those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You can begin to discern to see what is good and what is evil. You can train your spiritual eyes to see that and discern that in your life. And I think that's an important step to take. The fourth step is to write it down. I think it's kind of neat. If we wouldn't have this book if Habakkuk hadn't been writing things down, he wrote down his questions. And he wrote down God's answer in verse 2. God answered me and said, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. So, several questions in chapter 1. Notice the pattern here, the progression. Then he waits. In chapter 2, he quiets himself. He watches. And the Lord says, here's what I want you to do. Write this stuff down that I revealed to you. And so he writes down God's answers. He was listening. And he recognized. He became keenly aware of the sins of the Chaldeans. But he also became aware of the fact that the Israelites were guilty of those same kind of sins. They were living the same kind of lives. And yes, the Chaldeans were coming down, and, but they were God's judgment. And they would ultimately face their judgment also. There are a series of woes that he mentions there. Now what does it have to do with you, you might be asking? For some of you, prayers are rut. You don't like to pray because you end up saying the same thing over and over. You're stuck in a rut. You're stuck in a routine. And the solution, I believe, one of the best solutions that anybody's ever come up with is to journal them. Write down your prayers. You say, well, aren't we supposed to pray extemporaneously? Yeah, that's good. But write down the gist of your prayers. Take a spiral notebook of some kind with you. Write it down, date it, write it down. And as you listen for God to speak, whether it's through a verse or through that still quiet voice, you write down what you feel his answer is. Is it okay to write while I'm praying? Yes, of course it is. How do you think we got the Bible? We had men that were praying and they were listening And they were writing down what God told them. One of the best examples of this is the book of Psalms. In almost every psalm, David begins with a question. A question like, God, how come my enemies are prospering when I'm trying to live for you and I'm struggling? That's a good question, isn't it? That's one of those why questions. And then he waits and he watches and he writes down what God's answer is. But there's a lot of benefits to journaling. Journaling helps to keep you focused. 
It gives your body something else to do while you're praying. And your mind won't wander if you're journaling. When you're writing down what you're trying to think about. Another benefit is that it it helps you to remember what you said to God and what you feel God was saying back to you so that you don't have to relearn a lesson over and over. You can review the notes in your journal and you can realize, God's already taught me that. I need to remember that. But a third benefit is that it later allows you to test the impression that you got to see if it really is from God, because not every idea is from God. Some of them are, but some of them are from the devil. And some of them, quite honestly, are self-inspired. You know? I talked about testing impressions last week, making sure that it matches up with Scripture and doesn't contradict Scripture. I talked about more than that. But you don't want to be testing and analyzing your prayers while you're praying. No. That ruins the whole spirit of praying. But it is wise to go back and reflect upon it later. Take a closer look at it. Sometimes there's an impression you get initially, but you don't have a peace about it later. And you should have a peace about it. And then the last thing is worship. Habakkuk 3, chapter 3, verse 2 says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear that I fear could be is translated in some translations as I stand in awe. I stand in awe. Some others translated as I worship. That's what fearing God is really all about. You are in awe of him and you are worshiping him as the supreme creator, as the supreme being. You've spoken to me and I'm in awe of you and I want to worship you. You ask a question. You hear an answer. You write it down. It's going to make you want to praise him and to thank him. Prayer turns from a monologue to a dialogue, to a conversation. And you go from worry to worship. Sometimes I have prayed and I've waited and I've had an impression that God was saying, I don't want to tell you right now. The timing's not right. Sometimes it was because I couldn't handle it. Sometimes it was because he had to work in some other people's lives before it would be meaningful to me. But he held back. He held back. And I had that impression upon him. It's where you keep your focus. On the North Point. On Jesus. So if you begin to... practice these what I hope are practical steps. It'll open up a whole new dimension in your Christian walk. And it will lead, I believe, to great joy. I say that from personal experience. I don't say it as wishful thinking. I say it from personal experience. 
There are many times where I've gone to God, troubled about things, not understanding why. And as I've prayed it through and waited for Him to speak to my heart, He's replaced that concern, that worry, with His joy, where I trust Him for the outcome, even if I don't understand all that's going on at the time. I pray that you will have that same kind of experience in your prayer life so that God can replace that worry with genuine praise and worship coming from the bottom of your soul. Let's pray together. Father, teach us from your word. Help us to learn how to pray and listen. Take us from the worries that we have. Bring us to the point where we can worship and praise you even if we don't understand everything. Watch over us. Protect us. Protect those that we love and are concerned about. And help us to keep our focus on Jesus. That we might stay the course and bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.